Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to another Fan Friday with Alamo City Limits, where I bring on a special guest to chat about the silver and black and Spotify green room and close out the podcast with a Q&A hot take session with Spurs fans and a virtual audience. Today, I'm joined by Rafael Barlow of NBA Draft Junkies and the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. How are you doing today, Rafael? I'm good, man. How are you? And also, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. You're one of my favorite draft content people. You have an amazing YouTube channel. You do some really great stuff. So I'm excited that you're joining me. And I'm good. I'm doing really great. So let's just go ahead and get started. The names Kai Jones, Josh Gating, and Jalen Johnson have been swirling around Spurs Nation for weeks now. And Zyra Williams out of Stanford is another prospect fans have sort of taken a liking to. But JT Thor out of Auburn is someone who's really intrigued me in this draft class. So let me just start by asking you, where is he in terms of his NBA readiness and what is sort of his high-end ceiling as a player at the next level? All right, so what's your scale from 1 through 10 <laughs> as far as readiness? I don't think he's ready at all. I mean, I think he's a long-term prospect. I mean, the talent is definitely there. I mean, you can see, you know, just the package and the potential. I don't think that he's ready to come in and contribute right away. But the Spurs have a, a pretty good track record of developing guys. And I keep wanting to call them the Austin Toros, <laughs> the Spurs now. So, yeah, I mean, if, if they're patient, then that, that makes sense. I mean, he has the size at 6'10", still a little skinny. I think he's, you know, anywhere between 200 and 210. I think ESPN had him listed at 205. The numbers don't pop out to you, nine points, five rebounds, shots, like, less than 30% from three, but there is some upside as a, as a shot maker and and so on. So I understand the, the intrigue there. I just don't know if, I don't know what the Spurs direction is. Are are they going to continue to try to make the playoffs? Are they going to go all out as far as developing and and rebuilding? And if that's the case, then I think Thor would be a a good choice, but if they're going to try to, you know, keep competing and keep, you know, ending up late in the lottery and they want someone that's more ready to come in and contribute right away, then I don't think Thor would be the guy. Yeah, I sort of agree with you. And honestly, as it stands right now, I'm not really sure what direction the Spurs are heading in. I, I, and I think we'll learn a lot about that this offseason. But, but I'll go ahead and go back to Thor. So what do you think are some of the skills that should be immediately translatable from day one? And do you think he could have sort of any impact at the next level as a rookie or I mean, cause I know you said that he's sort of, you know, he's going to be a project basically. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. Like if you want to do what the thunder are doing or what the Rockets did last year, then yeah, throw him out there. He's going to be able to put up something. If you're looking to try to win games, which, you know, the whole tanking thing doesn't seem like the Spurs way, then I don't know how much patience pop is going to have. Unless yeah, it's a situation yeah. where you just, you know, you do like what they did with uh, Johnson a few years ago, spend the majority of the season in the G League. So that would be my guess if the Spurs went that route. Yeah, and it, I think it really is tough with, with not knowing where the Spurs are going. And, you know, we've talked about this with other prospects like Kai Jones. He's somebody who I like, but again, he's not somebody who necessarily projects to have sort of a, a crazy impact from day one. And really most rookies don't have a very big impact 
from day one. And it will just depend on what this front office wants to do, how patient they're willing to be. And obviously, you know, Devin Vassell was somebody who was a little more NBA ready. So he played from day one. He was contributing throughout the whole season. He got regular minutes. And I sort of thought Keldon Johnson was somebody who could be along the same lines. And then out of, you know, he, did, he ended up spending most of the year with the Austin Spurs. Um, but before we move on to talking about anybody else, if you were San Antonio's front office, would you take JT Thor with the 12th overall pick? Or is he maybe sort of a trade down candidate or somebody they should think about trading to get into the first round again? If I'm San Antonio, and I'm, I'm guessing with this range, I'm going with Alperin Shingon. I think that he can come in and contribute right away, even though he's only 18 years old. And the Spurs have had pretty good luck drafting centers. So I would go I would go with Shingun. Yeah, I mean, but again, if, if they're looking to to just rebuild and go with upside, then you know, Thor Thor would be in that in that range. But you now even like with Devin Vassell, I thought Devin Vassell was supposed to be ready. He played, you know, pretty much the whole season. The numbers don't don't stand out and the three point percentage was was solid. But, you know, I, I thought that he would have had a bigger impact, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think a little bit of that stems from a sort of inconsistent role. Now, he had minutes pretty much throughout the whole season, but I did think the way that they handled Devin Vassell was a little strange at times. He played, yeah. like I said, he played every game at the start of the season until they got to a Los Angeles Lakers game where they were sort of outmatched, they outsized rather, and so they didn't play him too much. Then he played a bunch. Then people got COVID. He was one of them. He came back. Derek White came back. He wasn't playing anymore. And then he had, you know, sort of a breakout game of the season against the Suns. And Pop was glowing about him. And then he followed that up by giving him seven total minutes over the next two games. So it was just a strange experience for Vassell this season. And I'll go ahead and move on to the next guy I want to talk about. I think Zaire Williams is almost sort of in that same boat where I'm not sure he's going to be able to contribute from day one, but I'm not going to lie. He's a, he's a name I'm familiar with. I caught a few games, but I can't confidently say I watched enough film to have an in-depth evaluation of him. And I know you poured like thousands of hours probably into this class. I mean, with all the content you're putting out. So I want to get your take on him. What do you think of him as a prospect? Don't watch this film unless you want to throw up and be sick. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's probably a little harsh. His film was, was bad. <laughs> It was, it was really bad, and he's one of the guys that has me really kind of questioning this whole draft process in a sense because if you watch the film and you look at the numbers, there's no way he should be considered a first-round pick. If we did not know him and if he did not have the reputation that he does prior to entering school, then I don't think you know it would be – he would have the same buzz, but he's – pretty much living off the hype that he had going into college. I know there were some factors at the beginning of the year. He, he dealt with an injury. I think he got into like a bicycling accident or something like that. Oh, so he had to be based on Stanford was a team without a home. They were pretty much living in hotels, playing on the road. I think there was like a death in the family where he missed some games. So that could have all been a factor. But just overall, I mean, as far as like efficiency – and how he looked on film to me it was it was tough because you saw little flashes of what he could do. You saw the flashes of shot creating ability, but I mean, like the turnovers were bad. He didn't get to the free throw line. He settled for way too many jump shots, in my opinion, and he wasn't making them at a good rate. So it's <laughs> it's kind of tough to gauge. But he could also be like this year's. Um, Jaden McDaniels, where McDaniels was super hyped coming in, had a, you know, less than impressive freshman year, ended up falling late in the first round. And I thought he kind of outplayed his draft position. But, you know, like if you're just looking at Zaire's numbers, 37% from the floor, 29% from three, he averaged three turnovers a game. Usually those aren't the, the numbers that you see from a guy that's, uh, that you would want to take in the lottery. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's precisely why I wanted to get your opinion on him because I'm not super high on him. But again, I haven't watched a ton of films, so I don't want to say I'm like the expert on Zaire Williams. But you have seen a bunch of him. You, you're familiar with him, and we know the numbers don't look good. And so I kind of wanted to get 
that idea that, you know, I hear Spurs fans say, well, he's a guy who has a lot of intrigue and I would be afraid to take him in the lottery. Personally, I don't, I don't think I would want him at 12. Now, thinking maybe a little bit differently, is he somebody who you would be interested in trading back into the first round to get maybe at the end of the first round? Or do you firmly believe he's uh, sort of like a second round guy? Yeah, he's not a first round guy on my board. And I'm just going based off of exactly what I see, not off of the hype that he had coming into high school. So, you know, coming into this or coming into this freshman year, at the beginning of the season, he was a projected top 10 pick on a lot of people's boards. And again, like I said, I know that there were some issues there that could have played a major role in why he struggled. But I tend to go towards what I see on film as opposed to what they did in high school. So based off what I saw, I think there are other players that I that I that I think are better. And again, he could develop. He could uh, end up having a you know a better pro career than than what he showed in college. But just off of what I see, I'm not as high on him as others. And yeah, and I think it's fair to say he didn't really live up to the expectations that were set for him coming into his first college season. But what do you think are some of the things that are like swing skills for him if he wants to be successful at the next level? And like, what is what is a high end outcome for him look like? What, what what does that look like? And what could he bring to the table if he meets that? Well, I think he measured out at like six ten or six ten in shoes at the combine. So the the best case scenario, you end up getting a Six nine, six ten guy that can create his own shot, that can elevate over the top of smaller defenders, that you can put in pick and rolls, that can occasionally make plays for others. I mean, that's like best, best case scenario. He's going to have to get stronger to do that. Like ESPN had him listed at 185 pounds at 6'8". That's like, I mean, you can hula hoop through a Cheerio at that weight. <laughs> <laughs> so, you push it under the door crack. So, he's definitely going to have to get stronger. Now, if they can put him on the Kawhi strength and conditioning program, then then uh, then that that's a win there. So, yeah, I'm just not as high on him as others. That's fair. That's totally fair. And I know everybody sort of has different opinions based on you know their preferences, but I kind of feel the same way that you do about him. Now, we kind of got these two guys who I wanted to talk about out of the way, but really, I want to know what is the lottery portion of your big board look like. And could you maybe touch on just like a few prospects who you like for San Antonio and why you like them? I like Chingun. I mean, that's that's who I, I is my favorite choice there. Um, other players that I like in that range, you know, actually, you know, it's, what's tough about this draft is I feel that after pick six, it's all over the place. So the range where the Spurs are selecting at twelve could be like literally like nine or ten guys that that I, I think would be decent fits. Um, but Shingunas will be my favorite. If they want to go for like a high upside guy, which, you know, Kai Jones, but he's a swing for the fences guy. Um, Franz Wagner, I think Franz would be a good fit there. And a previous mock I had, Garuba, Usman Garuba, the yeah. – the uh, power forward, or uh, I mean, I guess there's no such thing as power forwards now. <laughs> the the big from uh, from Real Madrid, I think he would be a good fit. Josh Giddy would be interesting there. Kispert could possibly fall into that range if you're lucky. James Booknight. I, I did a a um, a podcast with someone, and they had uh, Jalen Johnson fall into the Spurs, and I thought that was funny because I felt like if there, are, I feel like if there's one guy who I think the Spurs would pass up for sure would be Jalen Johnson. And that's simply because Coach K and Pop have a relationship and Pop can get direct intel <laughs> from Jalen <laughs> Johnson. And I don't think that – I mean, I, I could be wrong. This is just me speculating. But the way Johnson left Duke, I can't imagine Coach K would have a lot of really positive things to say. And so – um, Johnson to me doesn't fit the the whole Spurs guy, you know the whole, you know the reputation of guys that San Antonio looks for. Um, Moses Moody could possibly possibly be available. I know Richard from Mav Draft is in here. He <laughs> does not see him fall into twelve. He wants him to go to Orlando. Um, maybe even Isaiah Jackson. I mean, I think that could be somewhat of a reach there. So, like I said, it's a wide range of guys. I think after pick six, 
then, you know, it, it's just pretty fluid there. All right. So I, I want to talk about Alperin Shingun just for a second because yeah. he's somebody who kind of he, – he scares me a little bit. But he's also someone who if they did take him at 12, I wouldn't be devastated. You know, I wouldn't like put my head, like my head in my hands and cry. Like I think he will be a really good player even if he doesn't, you know, like reach his high-end outcome. Now, I want you to talk to me a little bit about him because I've heard a lot of people say good things about him. But there seems to be a wide range of opinions on him in particular. Like I, some people might think he can be uh, like a hub of an offense – and also be a shooter at some point, because at this point he really isn't that yet. And then I've also heard people say like, oh, well, he's such a bad defender. And I don't know if that's true. Now, I don't think he's like a spectacular, like generational defender or anything like that, but I firmly believe he isn't a garbage defender. You know, I don't think he's awful in that aspect. And he's 18. So just talk to me a little about what you see from him and why you like him so much. Yeah, so I had a chance to watch him play live, and it was about this time two years ago. And uh, Turkey was playing... Spain in the championship game of the under-19s. And his team actually matched up against uh, Usman Garuba's team, which this, the team from Spain ended up winning. At the time, I thought he was a borderline NBA prospect. I thought that he needed to trim down. But as far as like the skills on the offensive end, I saw it there, the footwork, the soft touch. But I did not expect him to make the jump that he made this year. He averaged 19 points, nearly nine rebounds little under three assists, also 1.6 blocks per game. And he was a pretty good defender in the Turkish league. I know the Turkish league is, I mean, they play a wide open style of basketball. And, uh, you know, it's not the NBA, obviously, but he was, I mean, he was easily the the best big in Turkey. And in my opinion, the Turkish league, and I I know this from living out there, I lived in, in Istanbul for a year, but the Turkish league is the second best, domestic league in Europe. I mean, I think the best league is the ACB in Spain. So we're talking about a league that has guys that play at high-level college basketball, some guys with some NBA experience. And at 18, he was the most dominant player in that league. So um, I think that he should be able to come in and contribute. I think that he could be something at worst case, similar to Yusef Nurkic in Portland, Mm -hmm. that type of player. Best case scenario, yeah, I don't want to give a best case. I don't want to, I mean, it's easy to say Jokic, but he doesn't have the same passing skills and, and the range as Jokic. But as far as like what he does on the offensive end, I think he could be a double double guy. I mean, he's going to be a drop coverage big. He's not going to really be a, you know, a guy that's going to switch out, but he is more athletic than I think he's given credit for. And I think that. I think losing some weight has helped out because if you would have saw him two years ago, he was a lot bigger than what he is now. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I again, I, I'm my, one of my biggest worries for him is he's sort of like a tweener in terms of his size. He's not really like traditional center size, but he's, he's not. 6'10". Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he's 6'10". And I, I, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but when I look at his arms, they look to be about, you know, like same size as his height. Um, I could totally be wrong. I don't have like an official measurement on that. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit – again, you talked about his defense, but I want to talk about that because I think that for me is his biggest concern. Do you think he's someone who could potentially be played off the floor in a playoff series or you really think he'll be fine in that aspect? Like that should not be a worry at all because honestly I, I do think that that's my biggest concern. But if you can you know, kind of talk me out of it, I'm willing to be talked out of it because I'm, I have an open mind about him. Well, if Rudy Gobert can almost get played off the floor in a playoff series, then anybody can. So that's, you know, I mean, if you look at the the series with the Jazz and the Clippers, I mean, they pretty much spaced the floor out and shot a bunch of threes and kind of nullified what Rudy does best. So, I mean, I think anybody can kind of get ran off the floor <laughs> pretty much. Any big can in today's NBA, unless you're just – super switchy and and unless you're like a Giannis type defender, which there's, you know, not many guys like Giannis or, or, or Ben Simmons. So I don't want to say that it's unlikely that he can't get ran off the floor, but um, you just have to figure out ways to, you know, be creative. I mean, you look at Brooke Lopez. Lopez is, I mean, I guess you can say the, the Suns are kind of picking on him now, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you look at, um, what's the guy's name for the Clippers? Um, Zubach. 
he got played off the floor in some series, like against the Mavericks. He was he was kind of useless, but I mean he had a a pretty good role in some of the other series. So if Shingun can be that type of defender with a better offensive game, then I, I think you can still play him thirty minutes a game in the playoffs. That's totally fair. Now I wanted to talk about one more guy before we sort of move on to the fan portion of this. So earlier, I was able to confirm that Trey Mann worked out for the Spurs, like officially worked out for them on Tuesday. He's someone who kind of intrigues me. What What are your opinions on him? Like, would he be way too much of a reach at 12? I think he would be, but I'd love to get your opinion to see sort of where you are on him. Yeah, I like him. I mean, I can't see him going that high at 12, but he has this, what I consider a unique skill set as this three-point shot creator. Like, you know, a lot of guys, they, they shoot threes, and it's because – they're assisted, you know, catch and shoot. But he shot 40% from three this season. And a large, large chunk of the threes that he made were self-created. So that's something that I think is very valuable in today's NBA. 12, in my opinion, is somewhat of a reach. But on the other hand, I don't it, – it wouldn't shock me too much because if you look at the jump that he made between his freshman and sophomore seasons – and if he can make another similar jump, then I think a team would have a real steal there. And I think he could end up being one of the guys that outplays his draft position. Now, that's, that's really interesting. He's not somebody I saw a lot of, but when I saw him, he was what stood out to me was his tough shot-making ability. Like He just seemed like somebody who was able to make <clears throat> tough shots and create his own shots. Mm-hmm. And I think the Spurs sort of are missing somebody like that. And maybe – I'm not sure every Spurs fan will agree with me on that, but when I look at this roster, potentially minus DeMar DeRozan, your two best scorers are probably DeJounte Murray – and Derek White, maybe Lonnie Walker, though, really, he, he's been pretty inconsistent. Granted, yeah. he's had a somewhat inconsistent role. So I do think that's something they need to a certain extent because not only is DeMar coming off of <clears throat> a contract, but you've got Patty Mills could potentially be gone. You've got Rudy Gay who could potentially be gone. Not that it matters with Trey Lyles and Gorgie Jing, but you have a lot of guys who are gone, and I think that's a need that they might have. But um, well, I appreciate they, you talking about that. Oh, go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. If, if they can just put like an Australia jersey underneath Patty Mills Spurs jersey, then you got your, your shot created in the score <laughs> right there. Yeah, it's interesting that the the differences between his his game when he plays. Uh, in FIBA and when he plays for the Spurs. I know he's talked about it in the past before. Um, he's somebody who I actually would love to see the Spurs bring back, not because I think he would be like the difference maker, but I think he's a good locker room guy and they definitely need three-point shooting. They were you know, bottom of the league in three-point attempts and three-point makes last season and they were near the bottom in three-point percentage. So I don't know that they can afford to let him go. How much of that do you think is the system? You know, I, I, was, I wonder that sometimes. I think a lot of it has to do with personnel. Last season, their two top three-point shooters were Patty and Rudy Gay, followed by Lonnie Walker and Derek White. But the rest of those guys, I wouldn't really say are three-point shooters. Like even Derek White, I wouldn't say is like a bona fide three-point shooter. He's not somebody I would categorize as a knockdown shooter. Really, same thing with Lonnie. Same thing with Dejounte. And you know, you got guys like Trey Jones got minutes. You know, he's not a three-point shooter. He was reluctant to shoot it after he missed a few in the G League, and he carried that into the NBA when he did get minutes. And obviously, Yaka Pirtle's not shooting threes. Gorgie Jing did a little bit, but he got benched for Drew Eubanks, who's not a three-point shooter either. So I think a lot of it is personnel. That's fair. Yeah, I just didn't know if – I just wanted to hear your opinion on it, if it was personnel or, or one of those things where I feel like San Antonio was one of the teams that kind of changed the game when they shot a lot of threes, but it seems like they kind of stayed the same while other teams have – you know, shot way more threes. So I didn't know if, in your opinion, it was the system or the players. But, you know, if DeMar and LaMarcus are your two best players, those guys don't really shoot threes. So that that could also have a big role also. Yeah, and I, I do think it's like sort of a combination because, you know, Pop in the past has said, you know, basically he hates the three ball. He thinks it's changed the game for the worse. And I mean, maybe maybe a little bit of that as well. Like maybe that he really believes that and so they shoot fewer. One of the things I thought was really, really interesting from a statistics point of view is, you know, the Spurs have sort of been known as the innovator of, of implementing that corner three. Like for years and years and years, they were the leaders in 
you know, the corner threes made, the percentages. Like you think of guys, you think of like Bruce Bowen was shooting the yeah. corner three. Like that was pretty much his bread and butter. And this season they finished last in corner threes attempted. So not to me that's strange. I mean, even if you're not going to shoot a lot of threes, the fact that they finished last and by a good margin and from the corners is sort of astounding because they didn't finish last and above the break threes. So, yeah. but that, that I just think that was sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's 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 why I was asking you. You're the Spurs expert here. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, you know, it is interesting. We'll see what they do. They could go a lot of different routes. One of the guys who I know you had mentioned briefly, Corey Kispert. I think a lot of Spurs fans are sort of out on Corey Kispert. I would be a little bit, not because I don't think he's a good player, not because I don't think he can help in any way, but drafting someone who's going to be 23 years old relatively soon to a team that isn't really ready to win now feels like a win move now, and they're just not ready to win now. So I, I don't know your feelings on that. I'd love to get your opinion on that. Do you think it would be a good pick for them if they ended up grabbing him, or is that probably someone they shouldn't grab if, if, if you're the Spurs? Yeah, I just don't know their direction, you know? <laughs> so they're one of the teams, like maybe like Washington, where you don't know what the direction. Is it to make the playoffs next year, or is it to develop? And if the Spurs' goal is to try to make the playoffs next year, then I think Kisper can come in and help. And he would provide the shooting that the team lacks. <laughs> so I think that he'd be a good fit for what they need him on the roster right now. Absolutely. And, and that's, a, that's a great point to make because I do think he could contribute right away. But again, like for just in my mind, and obviously I'm not – I don't know what the Spurs' front office is thinking. They're very, very – closed off they're not leaking stuff you know from my point of view i would probably avoid him because i would like to see them embrace like a full-on youth movement just see what these young guys can do and in the event you find out nobody's the guy or you don't want to keep some of these guys around going forward like maybe you get a, a pretty high lottery pick and i think that's a good place to be in if you're the spurs because i think they have a lot of pieces that are sort of ancillary pieces or complementary pieces but i think at this point you can't keep drafting at 19 or 18 or, you know, even in the very late lottery and hope that, you know, one of these guys is going to become something. I'm not saying that they can't, but I don't know that that's a great course of action. I I, I agree. You're, you're, you're the Spurs expert. So I think that uh, you have a pretty good feel on, on everything with, with the Spurs. So I, I you know, it's funny. I, I saw your video with the uh, pop running and <laughs> 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 that, that was pretty funny yeah that i mean i, I was i thought that was great because i hear some people kind of say like oh you know you should call it quits but i think as long as the guy's having fun let him have fun because he had a smile on his face he still connects with guys people still respect him but i don't want to get too deep into that we can sort of move on to the fan friday part of it and before we start bringing people onto the stage i just want to remind anyone uh, who comes up here, what's going to happen is we're going to bring you on the stage. You can give your question. It can be for, for me or Raphael. doesn't matter. Or you can have a hot take and we can go sort of back and forth on it. But it looks like we got our first request, so I'll go ahead and bring them up on stage. Hey, Tyler, what's going on? Hey. Nice hearing you all talk about the draft coming up. Um, I have a question kind of about, like, the makeup of the team and how it relates to the draft. I feel like we do talk a lot about need for shooting. I I kind of think – uh, I think you all just mentioned Trey Mann as potential kind of like guard playmaker type. I do think a playmaker could be valuable. I think it actually could pay a lot of benefits off with the rest of the three-point shooting. It did feel like a lot of our guards weren't great at creating open shots last year. I think DeMar was the best in that scenario. Derek sometimes too, but DeJounte sometimes is more of a pull-up mid-range and not really creating a lot of open looks. So I do feel like a playmaker could be hugely valuable just even if he's not a starter maybe coming off the bench too i was gonna say one of my concerns with man is that he lacks like your ideal athleticism and i think one of the reasons why he's such a good shot maker is because he has to take tough shots because he's not going to blow by anybody off the dribble and i i wonder how that would fit with with what the spurs are what the spurs are doing how about uh, someone like Josh Giddy? Even though I know he, he he himself isn't much of a shooter, it's it's that's the impression I've got. But just another playmaker out there. What are your thoughts on that? I like Giddy. I like Giddy a lot. He's young. I thought 
I didn't think that he would enter the draft this year because I think he's still only 18. I thought he would play at least two years, maybe kind of test the waters, but he exploded on the scene. And if you want to be like totally honest, there's not much of a difference between his production in Australia and LaMelo Ball's production when he was in Australia. So I think that Giddy could be someone that the Spurs look for. He's not going to help as far as outside shooting, but he will help as far as size and just kind of possibly making things easier for his teammates. But I also feel that if you're not a big-time threat to score, then it kind of limits how great you are of a passer. So he's going to have to add a little bit more scoring to his game. And then I think once he does that, it will unlock just the great passing creativity and feel and vision that he has. Yeah, I'm I'm on board with that too. I really like Josh Giddy. And one of the things that I think Spurs fans may not be considering when DeMar DeRozan leaves is just how much harder life might become for Derek White and and, uh, DeJounte Murray as the primary ball handlers and play initiators. Like, I really do believe that DeMar DeRozan made their job a little bit easier. Now, was he a great defender? No, he was far from that. Uh, is he somebody who was effective without the ball? No, I mean, he finished in the bottom 4.4th percentile and, as a cutter, and 80% of his spot-up shooting came from the mid-range. So, obviously, his game is a little bit outdated. But I do think he can contribute to winning. I just don't think he can be the engine of your offense in in the modern NBA but that doesn't mean he isn't a valuable player and I think that we're going to see some of the effects next season for some of the young Spurs and and it could be a lot different than we expect if they don't end up taking that jump yeah I I agree 100% and I I feel like that is something that has been uh, overlooked with Spurs fans is that DeMar made things easier I man if you saw in the bubble wasn't he playing like the four but he was like the, yeah uh, yeah the point guard in a sense but it, it could also I don't know it could be a situation where without him those guys have a you know they they bloom and blossom with, without him being there so I think that could also be something to consider too yeah, definitely. And um, here, I, I, before we sort of take anybody else on the stage, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming up and asking your question. I'm going to go ahead and send you back down. I wanted to talk about one more thing with you, Rafael. So I'm thinking when I look at the Spurs roster, and I'd love your opinion on this, just evaluating the players, is there anybody who you look at and you're confident saying, you know, maybe they have a, a, another leap left in them that they can really become – not maybe not a franchise player, but something close to that where they can be maybe like the second best player on a franchise team? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a tough question. I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. that To be honest, no. No, I don't. I think that – and I haven't watched the Spurs as much as you have. I still believe in Lonnie. I can't figure out why he hasn't been able to put it together. I still think that – I mean, he has some of what it takes. I mean, this three-point shooting was the per- percentage-wise. It's okay. Percentage-wise for his career is respectable. But, yeah, I don't know if he's a guy that he leaves San Antonio and then he ends up looking like a much better player. That would be my choice. Maybe Keldon. I think Keldon has I – mean, he's still young. He's still only 21 years old, which, you know, it seems like he's been in the league, what, I guess – two years and he's only 21 so he came in as a kid um he, he does have some upside the thing that's kind of disappointing for me about him is I, I felt like coming into his rookie year the the role that everyone expected him to come in and play was a sniper like a shooter that ends up you know developing elsewhere and then this year he shot 33 percent which I thought was kind of low for what I thought he would he would do i mean as a rookie even though it was a small sample size he shot nearly 60 percent from three (laughs) so i think the expectations were super high coming into this year as far as him being a shooter yeah and and, uh i'll bring carter on the stage here in just a second and i'll make one remark about that one of the things that was interesting was in the g league before we got to the bubble he only shot 28 percent from three and then he just sort of out of nowhere shot 60 percent on a very small sample size like you said but I was sort of wary of that. Like, are we going to see it sort of regress to the mean? Because 
he wasn't a good three-point shooter on a fair amount of attempts in the G League. And I was sort of disappointed in that and then very surprised when we got to the bubble that he shot that well. And I don't know if you can how much you watched of him before he got to Kentucky. And while he was at Kentucky, I'm sure you watched that. But he sort of changed his shot a little bit. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it, like, it's super high arcing now. Like It leaves the frame of the television when he shoots now. And I, I really don't know what that is all about. And I think it's something that is interesting. I don't know how much he gets to work with someone like Chip England. But I kind of wonder... Who does who does he work with? Like how who does he work with? How often does he get to work with? Is he working with Keldon? So uh, that's something that I thought was interesting. But anyways, I will bring Carter up on the stage here. Carter, what's going on? Hey, super insightful stuff. This is awesome. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So I think the one thing that we can predict about the Spurs draft is they do lean slightly towards international players, right? Maybe that's the one thing we can guess of the three guys i have no idea how to pronounce his name but Senguin. Uh, thank you <laughs> uh, garuba <laughs> and giddy like which of those three would you think would impact the spurs most positively next year oh all right offensively i'd say shingun but i also think that if you had a like if DeRozan was still there and you had that guy that, you know, has the ball in his hands and is the creator, then I think that Garuba would be a really good fit because he – I think he can come in and give you some of the garbage points, the junk points, the hustle plays. He can be your vertical lobster. He's the best defender in my opinion. I actually have him rated as a better defender right now than Scotty Barnes. And, hmm. um I think the most underrated skill in Garuba's game is I think that he's a really good short roll passer. And so if he can, and and to be honest with you, Real Madrid, because, you know, the game in Europe is so different, especially on a team like Real Madrid. They're looking to compete. They're not really looking to develop guys with game minutes. So if you're playing for Real, then you are, you know, you're, you're a contributor. You're one of their best players which, you know, we see in the NBA sometimes a guy may not be the team's best player, but they have long a long-term interest in him, so they'll let him go out there and make mistakes and develop. That's not how it works in Europe. So Shingun was out there – not Shingun, I'm sorry. Garuba was out playing good minutes for a competitive Real team, but he was playing a role that may not best suited his game. They didn't really play him a lot as the pick-and-roll guy. He spent a lot of time standing in the corner shooting threes, which is not his – strong I mean it's it's not the thing that he's he's best at so I think that in the NBA he'll be able to showcase more of what he can do in the pick and roll and as a a short roll passer if he can knock down threes then that's even an added bonus cool yeah I'm, I'm there with you too I really like Usman Garuba he's really fun to watch when when you get to take a look at his defensive tape just the versatility the instincts at such a young age, it's its absolutely insane. I'm really high on him, but I think at the end of the day, I probably would still take Giddy over Garuba just because I think he provides some of that playmaking that the Spurs might be losing. And I just say might because there is no guarantee that DeMar DeRozan is gone. Maybe they, you know, maybe they bring him back. But for that reason, I have Giddy, then I'd go Shingun probably, and then Garuba. But um, I like all three of them. So that would be my take on them. But I, I think if... If we're going to ask who really knows more, Rafael does. So I would take his opinion <laughs> before you would take mine. <laughs> well, you know, people in Dallas, I live in Dallas, think that uh, DeRozan is, is going to make the trip up I-35. <laughs> Thank you, Carter, for joining us on the stage. We'll take one more question. But I, de- I think that's interesting. Like, I'd love to get your take on that. Like, do you think that's a good fit? I know I, I talked to Richard from Mavs Draft about that. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like... I'm not sure that he's a great fit for Dallas. What What do you think about that if he did end up in Dallas? I mean, he would feel the need for another shot creator, someone that can, you know, get buckets. That was one of their issues. As far as him and Luka together, you know, I don't know if that is a, a perfect marriage because, you know, DeRozan is so ball dominant and he's, like you had mentioned, he may not be one of the best guys off the ball. So... 
it's it's interesting, but it could be something that I could see Dallas doing out of desperation. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to get super off track. We'll get back to the Spurs stuff here. The last question that we have comes via email all the way from Israel. Um, Spurs fan Naveh Bar wanted me to ask, you know, the Spurs are in the middle of a rebuilding process. Should they trade the Thunder and, and the Rockets, the 12th pick, to move down for two firsts, specifically 16 and 18 from OKC or 23 and 24 from Houston? Um, I'll go first and then I'll let you take this one. Personally, I, I don't know that OKC would move 16 and 18 for 12. I think you pro- they would probably be fine picking at 16 and 18 and not taking 12. And then for Houston, getting 23 and 24 from Houston, I don't know that it helps you that much. Um, maybe they, they, they may offer it, but I don't know if you're the Spurs that it would help you that much. You're moving away from a lottery pick to get to the end of the first round, and you're already a team that is sort of in flux. And at least at the 12th pick, you have a shot at getting someone who might be pretty impactful for your franchise down the road or even day one, depending on who you pick. Like you said, like a Corey Kispert might be able to impact the Spurs as a shooter from day one. So that's just, that's my take on it. I'd love to, I'm sure he'd love to hear what you have to say too. I mean, I feel like the Spurs should embrace a rebuild. That's what I think they should do. I feel like they should have traded DeRozan at, at the deadline and, and got some pieces for him. So whether or not that's something that they do, I don't know. As far as like moving down, uh, I, I don't know if I, I I would do it unless they feel like there's somebody that they can that they really like. Like I don't know. Let's say it's um, a guy I like. I'm really high on Vrenz Blindberg, right? And if he's a San, if he's a guy that San Antonio knows that they really like him and they can get him at 23 or something like that, then yeah, I, I would do that if he's their guy. Which we've seen, like if San Antonio has a guy that they like. They will, I mean, they've been successful like Kawhi. Kawhi wasn't someone that a lot of people saw what he is today. I mean, I, I don't even think San Antonio saw what he what he is today. But that was a gamble that, you know, on draft day, a lot of people didn't like the move. But he was someone that they targeted and that they knew fit their, fit their culture and system. And they was able to get him. And they got him at a, a good deal. So I think if San Antonio has another guy like that, that they feel that, they know would be available later on and then they can probably get some assets for them and get some assets and still, um, you know, get the guy. Yeah. And I kind of agree with you here that the Spurs should be looking to rebuild. And I'm not saying they should have like a fire sale and just get rid of everybody on the roster, but they, I just feel like they did maybe hold on to DeMar DeRozan too much. And then his value diminished to the point where you're not going to get, you know, spectacular return. Same thing with LaMarcus Aldridge, where they ended up paying him to leave, basically. You know, you're buying him out. You're saying, okay, see you later. And they signed some questionable contracts in the last few years. And I know it's not necessarily all on them. Like the Kawhi Leonard situation put them in a difficult position. But certainly before that happened, like the signing of Pau Gasol to that three-year, $48 million contract, that was sort of a questionable decision at his age. I think the Patty Mills contract, even though the cap kind of blew up that year where he was a free agent, giving him that much money was also sort of questionable. And then even looking in recent years where they signed DeMar Carroll to uh, a three-year contract as well for I think it was about $24 million in total. He was their fifth highest paid player, and he had been coming off a terrible series against the, uh, against the Sixers as a member of the Brooklyn Nets where he averaged 6.6 points per game on 27% shooting from the field. And he had been steadily playing worse as the season went on for Brooklyn. So to me, they're just some questionable decisions. And I'm not saying, you know, San Antonio's front office is washed or their talent evaluators are are washed or anything like that. But there are some questionable decisions. And I think it is time for them to sort of look in the mirror and go, what do we have here? Who's worth keeping around? And then, you know, just going for a rebuild. Because I don't think you can win in the NBA today unless you have – a superstar, and I don't even think like I posed this in other rooms, and I'll ask you this question, Raphael: the the Suns and the Bucks, and maybe this is unfair, but the Suns and the Bucks, their three best players respectively, in no order, are Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and then you got Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton. Is the Spurs' best player minus DeRozan even as good as their third player? And to me, the answer is no. But you know, what what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, I, the way Holiday's been playing, <laughs> <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> 
Yes, he has not looked good. I mean, he looked decent in Atlanta. I think he had like a really he had a big game, but I know against Brooklyn he only shot like thirty six percent from the floor. I think overall just this playoffs he's only shooting about forty one percent. So his numbers are pretty much identical to Eric Bledsoe's numbers. Uh, and they, you know, they gave him like 160, <laughs> like nine million, 167 million, and gave up like five picks. So, <laughs> yeah, I would take DeRozan. I mean, defensively, DeRozan is not on the same level as Drew Holiday. So, oh um, yeah, I meant like I think, minus DeRozan. Like, if assuming Demar DeRozan is gone, any of their yeah. players on the roster to me are not as good as even no, the third no. best player on either of those teams. And so, for, you know, for that reason, I think. They really got to consider a rebuild. And it doesn't mean, again, like it doesn't mean that you get rid of every single person on the roster. I think they have valuable pieces and, you know, Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell, DeJounte Murray. But I'm not sure you can keep all of those guys with the skill and size overlap that some of them have. You know, yeah, I, just don't, also, I don't know that's realistic. And I also wonder, like, if you ask maybe 10 Spurs fans, who is the best player on the roster right now outside of DeRozan, I think you may get multiple answers. You know, I think it may be split between DeJounte and, and Derek White or, you know, like if, like I said, if you had to do like a, which player that you wanted to protect in an expansion draft, if you had to choose between Murray <laughs> and White, I think it would be split. I don't think they have a clear-cut guy that you can say everybody would agree is their best player. Yeah, I agree. And I mean this in the nicest possible way. I love Spurs fans. You know, I, I, I write about the Spurs. I cover this team. But at times I do believe Spurs fans can overvalue what the Spurs have and the players that they have. There was a poll a few weeks ago where they were asked, you know, would you rather have Ben Simmons or would you rather have DeJounte Murray? And it was like a 90 to 10% in favor of DeJounte Murray. And I've also <laughs> I think seen... I'd rather have DeJounte Murray. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, you know, everybody, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I just think it's hard to – Hard to say, like, for me, when I look at DeJounte Murray, I think he – I'm not – I don't think he's done as a player in terms of, like, his growth. But you, I, I find it hard for me to look at it and say, you know, a three-time All-Star, somebody's a runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year, someone who has more defensive positional versatility, and then DeJounte Murray who, you know, he's oh, pretty much since he's been in the starting lineup, whether that's his fault or not, has been on losing teams. Yeah, and, but I think he's trending upwards. And he's still only what twenty four. He's trending. He's going to be twenty five in a few days. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's actually older than I thought. Um, I just don't think Ben. I think everything with Ben has been so easy and so natural to him that he just does not work at all. Doesn't do anything. And I think even if you, I think Ben is good enough to or whatever team he's on are going to be playoff teams. But I think he becomes a real like liability in the playoffs because he doesn't want the ball. <laughs> but now if if, the, if he accepts being a center, I, I would play him at center. I think he'd be, a, you know, really good as a five man. You can switch everything with him as your five. And if, if you put him as the role man, maybe he'll allow him to get downhill and you know, he can make all the reads downhill. I think he's going to have to change his mindset and also work. I think, DeJounte is not as naturally talented, but you can say that DeJounte has his numbers have gotten better every year, which you know, Ben's have not. Yeah, you, you can't say the same thing, and I understand that argument. And I also would say DeJounte has an incredible work ethic, he's in the gym constantly. Um, you know, he's you always see him on Instagram, like posting when he's in the gym. Uh, he he works out in the offseason just like any other player does. But, you know, he's he's trying to get into, like, the best runs he can. And luckily he's in, with the same, you know, agency that LeBron is signed with. So he gets to work out yeah. with some pretty spectacular players during the summer. So, and he's got so a drive. Ben so. Simmons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But um, it, I just think it, I think it is interesting. I do think back to my point of uh, sometimes I do feel like Spurs fans overvalue what they have. Like I've heard this idea that was thrown out here and. I, I almost know – I feel like I will know your opinion on this before I even finish, but someone said, you know, I'd rather have Keldon Johnson long-term than Zion Williamson. I just don't know. I'm, uh, to me, you know, <laughs> none of these guys should be untouchable. I think that's my biggest point is no one should be untouchable until they figure out really where they're going, what they're doing, who their guy is. I just don't feel like anyone should be untouchable. 
Yeah, now one thing I will say about Zion, and this is just my opinion, I think that he is going to be tough to build around because he's, what, 6'5", and he really is a center. And if you play him at the five on offense, I think he's best in like a four-out situation, but you're going to have to find a, a guy that can share the front court with him that rebounds, block shots, defends, but also knocks down threes to give Zion the proper space that he needs to dominate, which he's already been dominant on the offensive end. But, you know, when you're playing him at the five, I think that's when you give a rebounding and size and all that. So I think Zion is going to be really tough to build a winning team around. So I think, I mean, Kelda Johnson is nowhere near as talented, but it's probably easier for a plug and play guy than a superstar that, you know, that you're going to have to find some unique pieces. Yeah, and I, I think those are totally fair points to make. And uh, I, I'd love to say this after every any time I talk about any of the players on the Spurs, like I sincerely hope they prove me wrong and, and that they you know all make this leap because it makes it more fun to cover a team when they're winning. Unfortunately, the Spurs haven't really won much basket many basketball games over the last few years. But I'll hold out hope. I'll be optimistic. I want to be optimistic with the fan base too. And I know you're a busy guy, so I won't keep you too much longer. So. As we kind of come to an end here, let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your video content, and where they can find your podcast. Yes, I'm on Twitter, Barlow500. You can find my breakdowns as far as like videos on YouTube at NBA Draft Junkies. And then I have my website, NBADraftJunkies.com. And then I'm also on, I forgot to mention my podcast. I have a podcast that airs every Monday and Thursday on Locked on NBA Draft. And I try to bring, a, I guess, my own different perspective on on the draft as far as you know some of the content that I that I put out there. Yeah, and and your stuff is always great. I love watching all your videos. I try to catch as many podcasts that you do, and I always feel like I come away learning something. So thank you so much for tuning in, and thanks to everyone else who uh, tuned in for this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to join me in Spotify and Green Room every Friday at 5 p.m. for a Spurs fan Q&A with a special guest. We've got an awesome staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do a fantastic job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, take care, Spurs fans.